It's uh, time to get started with the question part of our presentation. But first, a little about upcoming SACPA sessions. Well, in this case, SACPA session. Next week, on Thursday, Dr. Paul Vassy will be talking. And uh, the thought-provoking title that we've come up with is Beyond the Binary. What can the West learn from non-Western approaches to gender diversity? Now, more information related to our talk today will be available on SACPA's website. The audio is there. And uh, you can participate in online commentary. And there's also a suggestion box outside where you can contribute ideas for speakers or any other aspect of SACPA. Now, we're, our, we've got a little variation in our presentation. Uh, before Larry gets into the questions, we'd like to provide a little presentation involving Bob McDonald. And uh, th Larry's asking that we listen to this very carefully to try and separate science from propaganda, basically before he gets into the question session. Now, after that, I'd ask you questioners to come to the microphone, remember to state your name, keep your comments brief, your questions succinct, and just one or two in number at any one time. I suspect we'll have quite a few questions today from the buzz I heard uh, after Larry's talk. So, uh, can we play the video now, uh, Everett? Thank you. <laughs> um, this came in by Twitter. Jesse Barnes from Okotoks, Alberta. And it's timely because there's a, there's a serious debate going on about the answer to this question. Is Canada carbon neutral now? Consider such small population, vast forests compared to other countries. Well, we do have a lot of forests, and uh, our population is small, but we have some pretty serious industry in our country. And the largest single source of carbon production in North America is our oil sands production in Alberta, which is getting larger. Uh, they're expanding up north eventually and, and even into Saskatchewan. So while um, our overall production of emissions on a worldwide scale is pretty small, we're a, we're a small contributor, we have the largest point source. And also our, our fracking is producing more. And so we have to deal with that. I, th I think we have a responsibility to deal with that. The other thing that we can deal with is we have a lot of intellectual capital in our country. We're very smart. And we can lead by example and, and introduce solar and wind and alternative technologies to do that. It's going to be difficult because we rely on our fossil fuels a lot for our economy. But we've got to take care of our single emissions. So are we neutral? Not quite. We're close to it. Not quite. But we, we still got to take care of that, that responsibility. carbon neutral or not from Bob McDonald. And I like Bob. I've listened to him for years. Uh, but he's still a little wishy-washy around where we are, what the actual baseline is. He says we're close. Uh, so while he says we've got a lot of smart people and we should be doing smart things, perhaps a few of them should be dedicated to so answering this particular question. Where specifically are we? How does that happen? How do we improve on it? 
and how do we use that knowledge to help our country to improve on it for the rest of the world as well? Questions? Thank you. Okay. Uh, anybody ready to? Uh, anybody ready to start asking some questions? Oh, there it comes. Ted. Thank you, Larry. You taught me a lot. Something I never thought about. Anyhow, my question is about the model of development. Uh, when I was a kid. China used to be a land of famine. And uh, parents used to tell us kids, just remember starving people in China. You, you eat your vegetables. Now, now China is a model of development. So fast, develops so well. And our industry like a Walmart depends on China. Is our model of development wrong? Did we take a wrong attitude? If everybody, China and India, constitute almost half of the world's population, they start living like us, we're in trouble. Is that the problem of our model of development? There's, there's no doubt that if the world is, it, Asia now is moving uh, closer to North America in terms of living standards. But Asia has and is making the same mistakes that the industrial world made 50 years ago. So they've got our example of how to do it wrong. They're continuing to follow it. China, China has used coal to build its economy. And I can understand why they did that. I mean, when you've got a lot of people to deal with, you don't have time for all the subtleties of things that may or may not cause you problems today or tomorrow. You have to feed a billion people. That's not an easy task. Now, to some extent, the Europeans look good because they've, they've dropped their CO2 emissions by 20-25% you know, over the last few years, or over the last three decades, probably. Uh, but to some extent, what they did is they offloaded the dirty work to China in India and other places. So did we actually solve the problem? No, we moved it. Now, China, I mean, if you look now, you can find uh, material that says that China can produce solar panels to produce electricity at prices that are competitive with traditional fossil fuel sources of electricity. If that's true, then China should move rapidly away from coal to that. Now, I know they're not perfectly substitutable, but more emphasis on that side. In fact, it begs a, a bigger question. Why would China continue to fund coal plants when it has technology that's equivalent in price for electricity that doesn't emit carbon dioxide? So. I mean, I, I'm, you know, don't get me wrong, I wasn't trying to, I, I use China because it's the biggest emitter and it's the easiest way to make the argument. Uh, others, you know, I mean, you could have used anybody else, it just that uh, that one gives you some clarity around the issue and helps you sort of put everybody else in it. So. Thank, thanks, Larry. Uh, next, next question. 
I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you very much for your talk. <coughs> um, I'm quite interested in, uh, in your figures and um, wonder how you arrived at the absorption levels for our soil in Canada yeah. as uh, so much of our northern soils are covered with ice and permafrost. And uh, even with our forests, we know that many of the forests look fine if you're looking at them from roads, but if you're flying over in the airplane, you'll find that they've been clear cut. So I'm wondering, um, where is that figure from? Because you seem to, s to be able to say that um, we Canadians were one of the high users, one of the high polluters of CO2 at 16 and a half what was 16 16 and a half or 15 three quarter on yeah those. and then um versus china that was at six 6.7 yeah so can you please explain to me how what factor you use because it looked like you used a factor of square miles of multiplying a factor across all of canada so can you tell yep, me how sure. you sure what i did is say that that uh, number that's up there the 77, 77 yeah tons per square kilometer yeah. is over the whole of the land surface of the earth. It's an average of the earth. Okay, it's not just, a, not, just not just Canada, it's for everybody. The good land, the bad land, the use, you know, the, the ice, everything. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a soil scientist and I'm not a climatologist, so I, I couldn't start picking out ice patches from desert patches, from good forests, from bad forests, from seasonal forests to year-round forests, okay? I did do uh, a lot. There, the boreal forest, essentially the halo around the northern hemisphere, you know, through Siberia, Alaska, Canada, and northern Europe, is a relatively intact forest, and it does ha make a major contribution to absorbing carbon dioxide. In addition to that, if you look at the carbon loads in the soils on the Earth's surface, you find that some of the heaviest loads are associated as well with the boreal forest. So if, and in addition to that, I could have just used forest, and then Canada would have been 10% instead of 7%, so the number would have actually gone up in terms of absorption. But I don't have the background, and I couldn't find any scientists to give me that. Thanks, uh, thanks, Larry. I think uh, Bev has defined one of those projects that you suggested should be undertaken. So you yeah, we need it done. So I just want to clarify. So you used an average number from the from the entire Earth's Earth's land uh, surface land surface to divide by both China and Canada. No, 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 no. I took China's China's piece of the land surface, Canada's piece of the land surface. I understand. Everybody's average. So that factor. Yeah, that average that that number would be the same for every country in the world that I that you could put up there. Okay. Is that is that good enough? Uh, uh, pre pretty hey, good. Look, the reason I use the average is because scientists haven't given us anything that's, that's better. I, I, as I said, our scientists have spent 20 years avoiding the issue. Okay, I just want to mention one tiny thing, and sure. that is that our, with global warming, the methane levels from our, our um, what is it called? The soil that's melting. Permafrost. Permafrost, thank you so much. Yeah, so exactly, so factored in, but, but, the, but the methane cycle is another cycle that it, it requires another discussion. But, it, but I think for everyone, 
what we need from our leaders and from our intellectual leaders at our universities and our research institutions is a much more vigorous discussion, debate, analysis, and rooting out the data if we're going to make intelligent decisions. Yep. Next question, please. My name is Lance Chong, and uh, thank you very much, Larry, for the very interesting topic and a very, uh, I would say, impressive half and another half very challenging for our intellectual thinking uh, talk. So uh, I have several things to talk about. Maybe just let me say it one by one, and then you can give me an overall answer. Okay. Let's go. Uh, yes. So Let's it wouldn't go be with one or two questions. Yes, it wouldn't be two because we can really talk about this for hours and hours. So many things of involved. <laughs> no, just no, like we you can't. said, we need to talk about. Yeah, we need to talk about science, right? Yes. But number one thing is your title. Yeah. Fairness. Yes. That word itself is not objective. Absolutely. Yes. I agree. So you're shifting the scientific base, which is subject uh, objective, to be something subjective. Right, which is the politics and business dealing. And just like your beginning introduction saying the science is a problem, but you're providing a solution that is political driven. And uh, so that said, the second layer is, initially you have this enemy for this policy is the Canada, Canadian people, Canadian industry. Now your solution is shifting the animal to, uh, sorry, the enemy as a scapegoat to China. And maybe India is the next. No. So, but it seems like you're aiming uh, the problem Lance, to be that. Okay, just an observation. We're, we're getting an awfully okay. long question here. Could he respond to what you've said so far? Yes, I'm just observing all those logic thinking here. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And as a consequence, can I go on? No, let, not, not right now. Let, let him answer. We've got a okay. lot of okay, other people sure. with Please. questions, Lance. Please. Thank you. What, what I was trying to get at is that we do not have the science to make logical decisions. We need it. It's Thank very, you very much for that. It's very important. It's very important for China as well as for Canada, okay? Or India or anyone. It's all of us on the planet need to understand that. So what we have here and now is, is Canada has an opportunity to make what I think is a major contribution on the absorption side of the carbon dioxide cycle, and we've ignored it. That's, that's our fault. That's our weakness, okay? It's not China's, that's our own issue, and we can tackle that on our own, you know, and we should be doing it now to make a more positive contribution. What I am saying is there's no point in beating up Canadians to lower their emissions to provide them to China with, that doesn't have the same policies for free. That's just looking at the facts, okay? Thanks. I'm not trying to beat on China. Thanks, Larry. I think that settles yes. that question. No, it's uh, not yet. Yes, because I think so, Lance. Could you, could you uh, hold your question until we've got two more okay. right behind you here? If we, run, if we see we've got lots of time, great. Thanks. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. I'm a retired international civil servant, and I've served both in China and India. Um, I have to agree with you that the base of all our problems, not just climate change, is overpopulation. And I also agree, of course, that policy should be science-based, but it has to be within the parameters of the possible. Um, <clears throat> the argument, the main argument 
that China, India, and other developing countries have in terms of curbing their emissions is that, hey, you guys have developed. You've polluted. Now, do you want us to sort of stay down? Don't you think we want to develop too? Yeah. And that's what prime ministers have to deal with. We live in an interdependent world. And to say that, you know, the Chinese, that well, we should tax the Chinese for their emissions is a bit like Trump saying, we'll get the Mexicans to pay for a wall. Yeah. Oh, I mean, policy makers yeah. have to live within the parameters the art, uh, uh, and achieve the art of the possible. Yes. So would you like to comment on the main arguments that the developing world has about curbing emissions? Absolutely. And, and it, it's a good, it, I mean, it's something I should have addressed, but, you know, in 30 minutes you can't get it all. Uh, I, I agree with you that they have an argument that the 280 that's gone to 400 was our fault, not theirs. But... There is a but always. Canada was unique and is unique in the G7. There is no evidence that Canada contributed anything to moving that 280 to 400. Okay? Because we're absorbing, I think, and I think the scientists can prove it, Bob McDonald says we're near, and if we're near today, we certainly were more than near 30 years ago. So the history of Canada is that we absorb more than we emit. So while that argument is legitimate when you're talking in New York or in Paris or in London, it's not in Ottawa. Okay? So we do have an argument for Canada that our policies should reflect the reality of Canadian geography and the emissions. I'm not against doing whatever we can, however we can, and using our smart people to make us less carbon emitting. I, I think it's a great idea. You know, whatever ideas we can come up with, we should. But let's not beat Canadians into thinking that they're responsible for the world's problems, because they're not. Thanks. No, uh, but our public relations campaigns would have you believe so. Thanks, Larry. Uh, I think we beat that one to death, uh, hopefully. Uh, sorry. Another question. Yes, my name is Jim Moyer. Thank you for your presentation. You. I just wondered whether you're aware of some of the data that is available on carbon absorption, government-supported programs. Right here in Lethbridge, the research station, one of our leading scientists has worked for years on carbon absorption by land, and particularly on increased absorption due to uh, conversion from conservation or from conventional tillage to conservation tillage. Yeah. I just wondered whether you're aware of that. I, I'm aware of some of it, but would I be an expert in it? Absolutely not. Uh, the, the, uh, you know, I grew up in a town uh, where Burgo implements exist, and uh, certainly the tillage methods that are used out on the farms today are a whole lot more carbon sensitive and carbon building than they were when I was 10 years old. So yeah, there's a lot of work. What you can't get from the science community at this point in time, though, is any recognition of what portion, like the individual work goes on and they can tell you on individual pieces of land what happens. What the heck can't do 
is they can't take that 11.5 billion tons of carbon dioxide that goes back into the land and tell you how much of that came to Canada's land and where in Canada. And that, I think, is part of what we need some reasonable idea of that if, if that number is half again the size it is. See, we're, we're missing an opportunity here. It's, it's entirely possible that Canada's contribution to, to the climate file could be on the absorption side. Okay, it may be cheaper for us to absorb more carbon dioxide, pay our foresters, pay our farmers, than it is to tax fuel at the pump in order to drive emissions down. That's another big project for the universities to undertake. Uh, I think, Larry, thanks. Uh, we need to move right along. We've got four questioners there. All right, Lance, Lance is back Lance, for number yes. two, so please keep it really short, Lance. Okay, hopefully the question is short, but the aspect is very big. Uh, okay. So you mentioned about a model of uh, business de uh, development, gross. Yes. Uh, let's use Walmart and maybe Apple as one example. So our Apple phone, uh, iPhone, sell for $600, but the cost of it is under $100, yeah. okay? So who is making the money, right? And the money making in China is only within that $100. But yet, we have people, city of Lethbridge, sending delegates to China recently, looking for investment back to Canada, right? We're trying to copy the business model here to import that pollution Do generating a, model is, back is, to Lethbridge. Is I there think, a question here, Lance? Question is, I think both Canada and China are both victims for whoever come up with those kinds of business model idea, who is mon uh, dominating the whole world right now, causing all those pollution. And the, this is one world, one atmosphere. We have nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. So better off, we use formats like this, democratic conversation. We find out oh. solution, look at the real science. Can For that, Canada can take the lead. Oh, Lance, Instead of putting the blame to the microphone. Yeah. Uh, the, the quick one, quick answer, yeah. please, Larry. The, right, the, so not confrontational, but collaborating, the, right? The we look at the science instead of blaming. The, uh, the federal, the federal government is about to enter into a, an extensive series of discussions with China on expanding our trade relationship. I think as part of that, it's important that China and Canada get on the same climate change page in order to ensure that it's fair on both sides. I, anyway, I think that's yeah, reasonable. Right. Yeah, Apple and, Apple and China make beautiful iPhones. Thank you. So, uh, next question, please. Uh, Art Sanford, uh, Larry, and uh, enjoyed your uh, presentation very much. And I do, I do a great deal of reading, and uh, this CO2, I don't pretend to understand it. But I'm reading an article dated uh, 2007 by National Geographic, and they're talking about a city in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, right near Rwanda, one of the most dangerous volcanoes in the entire world. And a team of scientists from around the world spent somewhere between a week and 10 days investigating that volcano and down inside it. And one of the comments they made was that the amount of CO2, carbon dioxide produced, by the way, it's making the city sick of a million people, was equal in one day from that volcano to the entire United States production in one day. Now mm -hmm. that's something to think about. You know, and, and yet, why do we never hear anybody talk about CO2, which is naturally produced? Everybody seems to blame somebody 
-hmm. for what is being produced. So that is my question. And my second question is, how do you measure a ton of CO2 accurately? <laughs> not, not with a scale. <laughs> not with one. Uh, yeah, there, there are natural cycles and natural disturbances in all of this stuff. Uh, volcanoes, you know, a lot of gas is coming out. CO2 happens to be one of them. Uh, and they can, you know, make all kinds of differences. If you, I mean, everybody says we're, you know, they, they take a short space of time and they say uh, our standard was 280, now we've moved it up to 400, and yes, we as people did that. But if you go back uh, a few tens of thousands of years, perhaps hundreds of thousands of years, you can find uh, CO2 levels in the atmosphere that are 10 times what they are today. And our ancestors, although they couldn't leave us a record of it, survived it. Now, I wouldn't recommend that, but uh, we, we have to take some, I mean, CO2 is just a, a small symptom of what's to come our direction because we're an overpopulated planet. We haven't learned nearly enough to use this planet, eight billion of us shortly, to use this planet without destroying it. Okay, okay. that's where we're at. Okay, thanks, uh, Larry. I don't think you answered the second part of the question. How do we measure CO2? Well, this, my science has vacated me. Uh, there's a lot of smart guys who take samples and they can, you know, I mean, I know there's measurements up on the top of the mountain in Hawaii, and uh, I trust that the scientists are. Okay. Well, I trust that their measurements weren't fudged. How's that? And we can calculate how much we produce from burning fossil fuels. We know the chemistry and physics. Uh. Uh, Terry Shillington. Thank you, Larry, for a really thoughtful yeah. presentation. And I hear your, your critique of China and, <clears throat> and citing the problem of overpopulation, but I also <clears throat> kind of sense a smug nationalism about your analysis in that, you know, you're saying, well, Canada's okay because we ha we're blessed with forests that do the absorbing, and and uh, and we're in a, we're clo close to uh, being um, um, responsible citizens on the globe. But we live on a globe, and I recall one writer referring to the forests of South America as one of the lungs of the planet. And if that's the case, North American forests and geography constitutes another lung in the in a healthy globe. And we don't just mm -hmm. live in Canada; we live in a globe. And so um, our concern is not that that uh, Canada absorb as much as it produces, but that our whole globe is healthy. And, and it's, um, it's not good enough to say, well, Canada's doing okay. Mm -hmm. uh, we're blessed with forests that, that make us, uh, that are, are to our, our advantage, but we still need a globe that's healthy. Yeah, I, uh, I hear you, and it's, and it's a good observation. Okay, but, but let me give you the implications of the thinking that says we're a rich country with lots of forests and we shouldn't charge for our absorption. The problem with that then is we've, Canada has abdicated its leadership for those, for at least a half a billion people in this world that live associated with forests that can't make the arguments that we can. Okay? The forests need somebody to speak for them. And if some poor person starving to death in Brazil or the Congo can't protect the forest, and we have the opportunity with the same interest to protect the forest, 
and we don't do it, then what kind of climate leadership are we exhibiting? You know, there's a huge, huge opportunity for us. Yes, it's a financial opportunity as well, but it's a climate opportunity. We've lost 30% of our forests already. We're going to lose a lot more if we don't provide better leadership. So yes, I, I think that we ought to consider it. I think we ought to get into it in detail. I think our scientists are, I, th I think our universities are missing an action in this country, quite frankly, on this issue. Yeah, they are. Our academics are missing here, at least in the public debate. Thanks. Oops, sorry. sorry, Larry. I could rant forever. Mark will probably bring something up, though. Yeah, okay, my name is Mark Gettle, and I've been visiting China for the last decade, every year, and every year I'm absolutely amazed at the progress they're making. Yep. Not just urbanization, but in fighting global warming and, and producing CO2. They have a program where they're uh, called the Green Wall. They're planting trees everywhere. There's solar panels everywhere. Even the streetlights are on solar panels. Uh, wind turbines everywhere. Every time I go, it's going, they're going that way. So my question is to you, based on what you said, have you ever visited China to see what's happening there? No. Or are you based on what the rhetoric and uh, the, uh, our press in Canada is, is, or around the world is talking about China? Because I think, really, you should go to China and you will change your mind about what you said about what China's doing and what they're trying to do to bring 1.4 billion people out of poverty and, and into at least the subsistence living that we have. It, it, good observation, and I, and I grant you that China is doing a lot more than a lot of people when it comes to renewable energy. But that effort isn't large enough to stop their growth in CO2 emissions from quadrupling in 30 years. So as good as it is and as strong as it is, they're still creating a larger problem. Global, global, global Carbon Project says that China is emitting 10.4 billion tons. That's up from 2.4 billion tons in 1990. Uh, not about the question. I mean, there's 300 scientists from around the world put that together. I assume their credibility is on the line. So I think it's fair to start. You know, I mean, better. Than, I mean, where do we go with it? I mean, you sit there and question everything all the time because you don't like the answer. You. You, you can't, I mean. Yeah, I think we could, I think we better draw to a close now. We've had a great presentation and great questions. We didn't even get in to Mr. Trump. Thank you.